Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Donald, as usual. Today, we're going to be kind of doing like a grab bag kind of an episode, talking about random things. Uh, Ramadan just started. We'll be talking a little bit about that. Uh, Donald has been watching a few movies that he wanted to discuss, and then we'll be getting into your questions, as usual. So, uh, yeah, how you doing, Donald? I'm doing pretty good. I don't know. I feel like I'm settling into lockdown i'm not sure when are you opening up again like did they start talking about that there at all Uh, they actually just extended it it was supposed to be uh so the the stay at home order or shelter in place order whatever they're calling it was until the 30th of this month of april and it has now been extended to the 30th of may and um as i said previously on another episode they did shut down all the schools for the whole academic year and they're doing like a uh, like a gradual phase in of certain things so even though they extended the lockdown for another month they are allowing slightly more businesses to be declared essential and all that kind of thing so yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah you know it's uh well we'll see i don't know they're also saying that we are hitting our peak and possibly like it seems like it's going to be an extended peak like it's not just one day or something like it's it's over a period of time yeah and so we are supposedly seeing that period now and um yeah i don't know we'll just see i think we're that's the same situation basically here i think that they they said that we're close to our peak or maybe have already passed it a bit and uh um we've got like a conservative premier here who uh, is a little bit like his his sort of like nature is more like a Trump kind of guy like he is a you know blustering kind of fool a lot of the time but uh, he seems really humbled by the situation right now like he seems kind of a uh, he, he just he, he just overwhelmed basically almost so he kind of he does his press conferences and most of the time he's not like an idiot in them he just kind of sounds really sad kind of thing so it's actually like it's not bad i don't know and uh but i feel like he is very much like like the construction industry and all that are really huge you know developers and that are huge supporters of him and uh so i feel like a lot of things are going to open up pretty quickly as soon as he can not but it's it's still it's funny though it's 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 very different than uh the states still i think like where in the united states it seems like a lot of states are just going whole hog opening in the next month or so like i saw a lot of places their orders are uh, lapsing on april 30th and they're just basically letting them lapse kind of thing so for a lot of them so that's uh yeah so but i i don't know i feel like uh a part of that is probably because the federal government is just here has a is much more on board with things have to be shut down for the whole summer basically so um yeah we'll see how it goes but yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know. It's a. Uh, it does feel good at some level that you know things are. It seems like, at the very least, like the the more horrific scenarios seem to be limiting themselves a bit so far, kind of thing. You know, like I mean, it's already been as. as yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not like we've got a bit of a grip on it now. I think is. Uh, it seems yeah. Like to me, there's so. not just like bodies in the streets and <laughs> yeah, mass graves so. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I don't know. There has been some worrying news though about the fact that the uh, the virus seems to be able to mutate much more than they had previously thought, and th- so a vaccine might be less effective than we yeah. were probably hoping for. And 
Um, they're, they're already kind of saying that there's going to be a second wave. It's going to be worse. I saw some graphs that were saying that we're not going to hit peak uh, hospital capacity and all that on this first wave, but that the second wave will certainly get there uh, if the predictions play out the way that they are modeling them. So, yeah, that's uh, it, it's not over yet, you know. Like, oh, no, no, no. I think yeah, the whole no. wave thing is, is uh, definitely a thing and that it's – I don't know the the idea of like a vaccine just coming out next year and kind of reducing this to like a no big deal sort of thing like the like the uh, regular flu is maybe not uh, as likely as we were hoping. Sure. Yeah. So I it mean, could yeah. could be a perennial thing that we just this is something of a new normal now. Yeah, I mean, especially with uh, they do look. It looks like the that if you get it, you can keep getting it kind of thing too. I've yeah. seen. So yeah, that's uh, I don't know. I feel like uh yeah i don't know like it's it's just something that I, I don't know maybe it's just that i think that it's terrible but it's one of those new i don't know it's like uh i don't know zizek always talks about this thing uh, he probably has made an article about this already that i haven't read yet but uh he always talks about like a general on the eastern front like a nazi general do you know about this or, or maybe it was i'm not sure which side it was but like uh no. um have you heard of this one or no i don't think so so the general uh so anyways the the, the basic idea is that the a military unit took catastrophic losses like just terrible terrible losses and then uh they reported back to their commander that you know because they had survived uh they said that the situation was catastrophic but not serious <laughs> and uh and uh so it's like they could take you know they took all these losses but they were able to you know sort of get through it and uh continue on to some extent and uh um and anyways i like that basic idea that yeah that's what it sort of feels like where it's like uh you look at the news and you're like oh okay well thousands of people are dying but looks like we got a handle on this or something like that kind of thing. I don't know. Like it just, that's how yeah. it, it reads to my brain kind of thing. And then I'm like, I think also with, uh, yeah, I don't know. And it kind of teaches me too, in some ways that that's how the, I feel like that's how a lot of the high level political people just feel about almost anything. <laughs> like yeah. if they see like a war or whatever, they're like, oh, okay, well we took huge losses there, but you know, I'll chalk it up to experience. We'll move on. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, there was a, like the Wells Fargo CEO or something like that. Maybe he was a ex Wells Fargo guy or something. But he was saying like, yeah, we should just send them back to work and some will die. But oh, well, you know, that that kind of an attitude. Sure. So, yeah, there's a there. Yeah, there's a kind of a positive way to, to swing that where it's just like, you know, this is the reality. We got to deal with it and move on. And, you know, we're still we're still here. We're still ticking. So you know, all is not lost, but there's the other side of that where it can kind of be like, you know, it doesn't matter. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although that was also sort of played into the, I don't know, I've seen a lot of debates recently online in different places that where people are sort of like those protests that are happening, just the small ones that about people that want everything to open up again and like sort of the push yeah. by small business and stuff. And I don't know. I feel like the I felt I felt strange about it because those protests are stupid. Like they like they just obviously are. Um, but uh, yeah, I do feel like a lot of the sort of discourse around it is uh, getting very close to how it was ten years ago. Yeah, as I said, like the the Republicans sort of going nutty about like 
Obama and stuff, and then that didn't really work out in the favor of uh, the more liberal side of things, kind of thing. It just, it just uh, sort of, yeah, for sure, turned into I a mean, cancer. I think a lot of that is just to sort of set up the goalposts and stuff. So it's like we're going to debate about the fact that people are protesting against the lockdown, and so now there's like the reasonable positions are. Well, maybe we do need to end the lockdown because, you know, people yeah. are upset. They need to go back to work. Da, 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 da. That gives Republicans or whoever wants to open things up a lot of ammunition. And then it puts people who are like, well, no, we need this. Now, all of a sudden, there's like a heavy burden of proof on them when there's like a global pandemic. You can't just point to that anymore because you've accepted sure. the idea of like, yeah. well, what we're discussing is lockdown protests. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. And um and I think that's the that's why they're being sort of promoted and funded and stuff. I think that like, yeah, I think they, a lot of them are fulfill, fake. Oh, they are they they are all astroturf sort of things. I think, but uh, although it is weird because we are kind of in this position now where a lot of things that sort of exist online and are promoted or and then turn into these like real world protest movements or events and stuff, they get like a weird life of their own where they just sort of. They start as astroturf things, and then it's like they, you know, they turn into little Frankenstein's that just keep, yeah, you know, <laughs> or like zombies where they just keep on for years and years, and no one knows what, you know. Originally, they were connected to something, but now there's no, you know. I think I think Trump is obviously like almost a, the confluence of like ten different things that were like that kind of thing, you know, like with like the birther stuff and all that. So I don't know. Yeah, it's there's just so many dumb people. Like, I guess yeah. not, not to play into the John Stewart uh, mentality here, but yeah, there's just always enough suckers. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know. It is it is one of those things where I mean I've watched a lot of spy movies lately, so this is part of the whole uh, thing. Is that there is this sort of sense that it's like almost like a hierarchy where at the top is you know the spy agencies and secret societies and rich people and all that sort of thing and it's like they think everyone else is stupid kind of thing you know like that's just mm -hmm. they're 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 plotting along in their little dumb lives and then they're the ones that are like uh thing and then i mean it's hard to accept that it's all stupid all the way down kind of thing it's right like, i don't know you know yeah. what i mean like everyone yeah. is everyone at every level is just some sort of dupe or something i don't know it's very depressing but yeah um yeah how is Ramadan going uh, otherwise for you? Like, is it? Oh, it's been good. Um, it's been really nice to sort of reconnect with, uh, I don't know, I've been a little bit on the outs with practicing and just kind of being in that mode. And it's been really nice to reconnect with all that. Um, the fasting has been really easy, to be honest. Uh, as I've said before, it's never been a huge struggle for me just in terms of like the physical effort and stuff. I've never really... Uh, had a big problem with the hunger and the thirst and all that. And it's been even easier this year, I think, because um, I, I don't know, maybe just because we're just sitting around the house all the time or something like that. Or, yeah, I don't know. It just feels a lot easier physically. But um, uh, it's 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 been a little weird. It just has a little bit of a weird vibe, uh, which is also strange because it's not really all that different. Like, uh, it's not like. I was going to mosques every night or something. I never really got into all of that. So it's not so different, but it just has a different feeling around it. Um, 
we we always like to watch like there's always a lot of like ramadan content that different people put out and they're all talking about how different it is and th- there's just a different kind of feeling around it which is i don't know a lot of it's very positive to be honest a lot of the imams and sheikhs and stuff are looking at this as like this is a really unique special ramadan and this is something that will be talked about in history books and this is you know you can really take advantage of this time more than in past Ramadan. So this can be your best Ramadan ever, that that whole kind of attitude. So they're really like trying to see it as an opportunity and not play up the whole like, you know, because a lot of people are bummed out about the lack of like Tarawih, which is like the night uh, nighttime prayers that people do and, you know, all that kind of thing, like the communal aspect to it. Sure. So is any of that uh, generally obligatory? Like, is there gathering kind of requirements? Like, I know, like, say the Friday prayers or something like that. Is that generally, like, are you supposed to do it in a group if you can? Or, um, So, like, do you mean Ramadan specifically or just no, in no, general? No, 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 just any sort of general obligation to gathering or something like that. Yeah, like, so Friday, the Friday Juma is uh, obligatory and um, for, for men specifically it's optional for women and um that during a time like this is it's you know there's like an exemption for it like sure and and there's other things that can exempt that like if it's if it's just dangerous for any reason basically it's it's fine to stay home in fact it's obligatory to stay home and it's it's uh prohibited to go to the mosque if it's dangerous to do that um what about like uh some sort of the different meals and things like are the are they is there any sort of you know like uh um or you know like the sort of um the breaking of fast together like is that is that just like a deep tradition or is there any sort of responsibility to do something like that or is that just like um it's it's primarily a cultural thing there is specific reference to so sahur is like the breakfast that you eat uh, before sunrise and iftar is the meal that you would eat to break your fast and there's definitely reference to those meals but there's no specific you know no specific food or, or nothing really specific about what you need to eat or how you need to eat that or or anything like that there are a few very minor things about like what's preferable in terms of like do you like when you break your fast, you do that at a certain prayer time. So is it preferable to pray first and then break the fast? And what I've understood is that you you break the fast with a little bit of like uh, water or milk and dates. That's the sunnah. That's what the prophet used to break his fast with. So you do that, then you pray, and then you go have iftar, which is like the larger meal. So that's the preferred thing, but it's totally, you know, you don't have to have to do that. That's not any obligatory at all. Um, and then there's the Tarawih prayers, which are not obligatory. Uh, they were actually something that was developed late after the Prophet's life um, under Omar, I believe. And they are something that's highly encouraged and it's something that people really get into. It's like a big part of Ramadan for most people, uh, but they're not technically obligatory at all. It's it's just a tradition that's been established. And it's, it's considered just a good thing because... Um, so it's every night during Ramadan and generally the way it goes is that the Imam will, will get through the whole Quran in that period of the, of the month. So it's just a way to like, 
to go through the whole Quran, right? Through the, the month. The month of sure. Ramadan yeah. is the month when the, the Quran was revealed. So it's just a way to kind of like get everyone involved in that and, and that kind of thing. So, How are you finding the um, sleeping? Like getting up early and all that sort of thing, and then going like, are it's you doing fine. anything? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm getting. It's uh, it's around four thirty. Um, that that uh, I need to stop eating and drinking and stuff. So I'm waking up at like four fifteen, and uh, find it pretty easy to go back to sleep. And I haven't been feeling tired or anything like that. And again, I think a lot of it is because it's pretty easy living in in the sense that I'm not going to work. Get, I don't have to like get up and go anywhere. I'm just staying home and stuff. So. Sure. Really yeah, although I was worried that that might be the opposite, though. I thought that, you know, uh, it might be because, uh, you know, we've been talking about how it's been different now with uh, a lot of people finding it hard to be in a schedule and all that. Right. You know, I've had insomnia and stuff. I feel yeah. like uh, I could see uh, you maybe playing Civ Six or something until late and then, you know, having difficulty. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, or, you know, like it, yeah. this, I always kind of get myself in order a little bit and get a little more disciplined about things like that um, during Ramadan. It's just something that, uh, I mean, part of it is that it, I am trying to be like my best self, you know, and all that kind of thing. But I think another part of it is I just know that it's a lot more comfortable if you just kind of get into the routine and you don't mess around, you don't stay up late playing computer games or whatever. If you, if you, I mean, I'm not going to bed super early, but uh, earlier than I was and all that. So it's funny how it makes it a lot easier when you have this sort of like structure to kind of not force you to do it, but it really incentivizes you to like make the right choices and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was a little bit concerned about it, too, but it's been pretty easy so far. Usually it's like the first three days are like the hardest of getting into the routine. And once that uh, th- those first few days are, are gone, you kind of get adjusted to it and your appetite sort of changes. You don't really expect to be eating. And I think your body somehow like adapts to the situation. You just know that food comes later and you don't, you don't really feel it as, as uh, harshly. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing a bit more um, than normal in terms of uh, it's funny because it's it's almost been good for my health uh not not ramadan but like the lockdown um mm-hmm. uh in terms of uh you know going for walks and uh long walks around the neighborhood and stuff and um uh i mean you know not not great for cooking still but still doing more than normal on a lot of that now and uh you know watching more movies and watching you know and reading more books and stuff and um and, uh, I mean, I, I just finished a book. It's funny. I, I, uh, was sort of reflecting on it that like, I bought this book when I was in Montreal in 2003. Uh, it was, <laughs> wow. a, it was, a, it was a, it's like a economist guide to financial markets. Man, that's and, before I graduated high school. That was a long yeah, yeah. time ago. So, uh, I, I had like, uh, actually it was kind of funny. What happened was, uh, I was, I was living in, uh, um kingston and then i had a summer um they had this like thing where you can go to montreal for six weeks and the government basically pays it for you you know um they they uh you know give you housing and um at like a residence and then you can take a it's like a first year university course compressed into one week uh, into six weeks before or eight weeks or something like that 
and um, it's a, uh, it's um, you know, first year French or whatever. So it's like you know, it's it's not like it is a real course, but it's also like that's all you're doing. So it's just like a way to have fun in a different city and have the government pay for it, kind of thing. You know? Yeah, that's pretty um, sweet. And uh, to encourage bilingualism and stuff. And I had always wanted to like, I think I had been to Montreal once before, but this was like. I really wanted to like hang out in the city and stuff. So it was really, it worked out really well. And uh, it was also funny because I had no, like no money at all. Like just, just like, you know, like totally broke, just completely broke. And then the first day that I got there, they were like, uh, they had little envelopes for us and they were like, okay, so your first $200 you'll get now. And then, uh, and then uh, you get the rest of like your 600 or whatever, you know, it was like, it was like a thousand dollars or something they give you in cash. It's like a, subsidy kind of thing or something and i was like i had no idea it was coming and i just and i was like oh man this is like i felt like i like won the lottery or something i was like i get a free vacation and i get paid to (laughs) to be here i don't know i was so happy and uh, especially because i was like so like not depressed but i was kind of like i I think i only had like a hundred dollars for like of my own money for like the you know month and a half or something like that and i was kind of like well I'll get groceries and then, you know, like I was kind of like, you know, trying to budget it out. And then, yeah, and then I got a windfall and I was like, oh man, this is great. Anyways, one of the things I bought with the money, um, one was, uh, uh, you know, that Caro, one of the biographies of Lyndon Johnson. And then the other (laughs) one was uh, this guide to financial markets, which ends up just basically being like, uh, um, it's almost like an encyclopedia, but it's just, it's just only like 250 pages or something. But it's funny because I kept starting it and never finishing it like every few years. Mm. Um, and I just finally finished it for the first time, uh, you know, and it's kind of, I don't know, it took a while, like 17 years to actually get through it. But, uh, <laughs> but it, you know, it was, it's okay. It's just, it's not like, it's basically almost like a collection of Wikipedia articles about finance. So it's not even like, I don't know, but I got through it. So I was happy about that. So, yeah. That's good. Was it worth the wait? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because all it is basically is like, uh, you know, this is how a certain type of bond works. The bond has this, the bond has, you know, it has a coupon rate, it has whatever. And it just talks about all the different ones. It's also kind of funny because, you know, it was written in 2003. So the financial crisis hadn't happened yet. So a lot of the things that it, it pointed towards in the book, uh, you know, had not, they were like recent phenomenons that had not yet uh, turned into disasters. So it has like a whole section on uh, mortgage backed securities and different types <laughs> of derivatives and stuff. And um, it, it does, it does sort of warn about them a bit in different things. Like it's not, it wasn't, it, it's like ideological, obviously, cause it's like written by the, like it's for like the economist or financial times or something, but like, uh, it 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 did have a lot of like things in it where it's like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You can kind of go, oh, that's not going to work out well for them, kind of thing. Something, yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to get more through more of these books about finance and stuff. Just trying to read and, and like economics and stuff. Just keep, you know, plugging along on it and stuff. And yeah. I feel like I feel like if I keep doing that in a few years, I'll be more competent about that kind of stuff in terms of business journalism and all everything. So, I don't know. So we'll see. That's good. I have not been in a reading mood at all. <laughs> yeah. I've just not been reading. Yeah. 
Have you been playing that uh, Civ Six more or anything like that? Or? Um, I have been playing more of uh, Magic Arena. They just had a new set of cards come out, so I've been drafting a lot on there and doing very well, which sort of like incentivizes me to keep playing more. Yeah. Because the uh, when you do very well, you you they call it going infinite. You get your like the in-game currency that you pay, you get that much back plus some more. So you can you basically get like another free draft to go in for. So I'm just like stacking up digital packs of cards and stuff. And so I'm, I'm you, trying to limit that though during Ramadan. I'm trying to really like only do like one of those a day, if that. So is it like competitive in the way that, like I know all the, it seems like a lot of them are like Modern Warfare. I see in all these different ones, it seems like there's like, I don't know, like rankings and stuff or like, you know what I mean? Oh like yeah. It's like a, they, yeah. They have a ranked system. And, um, if you like, you really have to grind a lot to, to get into the, the, the highest tier and sure. the, a certain part of the top tier of, of that, of that tier, like get to go to a, like a tournament. It used to be an in-person tournament. I don't know what they're going to do now, but like there are professional magic players and that's like, that's how they make money. They play for tournament winnings and stuff and like there was one guy last year that won the biggest ever and i think it was like a million dollars or something like it's it's getting to like significant levels of money now i know a lot of these guys used to do poker to make their money and magic okay. was like their yeah. fun thing to do and now magic actually pays out but uh, i don't cool. know i don't i don't really do that i, sure, I just sure. play for fun you know i'm not i don't even put in any money i just play enough to get the in-game currency and then use that to draft and that gives you cards and so i just kind of like try to sustain a decent decent amount of cards that way yeah i uh i've been playing that skyrim more and um it's funny because at the first like the for the first maybe few hours whatever total that i played it I was like this, this, uh, I didn't, I didn't like, I kind of disliked it, but not like that bad. Like I just, I just had no idea what was going on. There were just like lots of different strange words being bombarded at you right. and, uh, it doesn't really make any sense to me. And I don't really, I'm not usually like a fantasy sort of epic person. I just never really got into that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I don't know. I think the, you know, and even then like, uh, the combat and stuff is sort of annoying to me. I don't really care about uh this style of combat i'd rather play something like modern warfare or whatever for that kind of thing but i don't know once i got like once i was able to start collecting spells and stuff and leveling up and that i was like okay i'm in this now i'm i'm kind of i don't know i'm really i'm committed <laughs> i don't know so i was like a i'm like level 12 now i think or something so yeah i don't know cool i saw yeah. some interesting stuff from a skyrim mod today there's um it's a modding team. It, they're called Beyond Skyrim. And what they're doing is they're taking all of the different areas that have been in previous Elder Scrolls games. So Morrowind, Oblivion, all the DLC. And they're putting it all in the Skyrim engine and making it so it's one contiguous world that you can travel to all these different continents. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're plugging along. They were sort of showing their their progress and uh it's looking pretty cool i'm really kind of interested in playing the um in the world where it's like the uh, the khajiit you know the cat people yeah and they have like they live in like a desert area and their architecture looks pretty like islamic-y you know and uh, i don't know that seems kind of fun when i, I was kind of like all right whatever you know just sort of seeing it and then when they showed that part i was like oh man i could get into that <laughs> so 
Um, yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. I don't know when exactly it'll come out. Probably, it's probably still a couple years out at least. But uh, yeah, it's looking good. I was trying to. I was thinking that I I thought that they would already. I thought that was already sort of the existence in this one kind of thing. Like I thought that I thought because there's a lot of like old ruins and stuff, and I assumed that like in earlier games those were the ruins, but I guess they're just random ruins or something. So, well, um, um, yeah, I mean, not to go too deep into it, but yeah, there there is some uh, relation between those and some of the previous games. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. That that seems. Um, and then another thing I I did is I I, wa- I finally watched the sort of last Born movie that you know I finished it the, oh, from right. the and uh, Born Ultimatum, and uh, it was funny because I had I'm, I'm sure I saw it like I sure I'm sure I saw so the Born Identity the first one I remembered a good amount of it like I remembered I probably I I probably saw it again like maybe ten years ago or something so I had some memory of it and stuff. Uh, the Born Ultimatum came out in 2007. I had no memory of it, like, whatsoever. I had, like, no... It just... It was completely new to me and stuff, and that felt... I guess it was just not memorable, maybe, but, like, I don't know. It felt strange. I was like... <laughs> I was like, I have seen this, right? I don't know. So, I, uh, I don't know. Because that was the last time that I used to see a lot of movies was uh, in 2007 to 2009. That was, like, uh, what I would do is... Uh, there was, like, a theater near my house kind of thing. And, um, I would go see two, like I would go see one and then walk into another one and I would time it kind of thing. Like I would look at, uh, you know, I would sneak, for, I would go pay for one. I don't know. I don't know why I would even, but, and then, uh, and then go, you know, watch it. And then I would go see another one afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I saw like so many movies that way. And the type of theater it was, was they had like, uh, um, they had like all the new ones and stuff, but then they had a lot of like foreign movies and stuff. A lot of like, uh, um, you know, like the the ones that just basically to fill the screens because it was like a big old sort of theater kind of thing. And yeah. um, and uh, so I saw like you know probably dozens and dozens of movies that way because it just was very cheap for me to see a bunch of them at once i mean you know i think i went maybe once or twice i saw three in a row and that was like a almost just because i wanted to see if i could do it because uh yeah like uh the movies were not good that i saw so i don't know but yeah <laughs> i don't know but uh yeah i also saw two yesterday i saw two great movies um that i thought i would just kind of mention is that uh i really liked uh have you seen ad astra that one with brad pitt whatever no i haven't yeah, I liked it. It's like have you you've heard of it at all, or it's like a I've space heard m- the the title, but it it seemed I just hate the title so much. I just didn't look into it any further. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I liked about it was that it's set sort of like in the near future where uh, they um, are doing like space missions and stuff, and it's like sort of like Earth is sort of uh, humanity has sort of graduated a bit to like there is space travel basically, like but. Okay. It, it's it's basically only in our solar system and it's only you know there's like moon colonies and it's sort of like a little bit silly about that kind of stuff it's like it's it's a lot of it is about like mining and resources but instead of like foregrounding that there's just it's that's just a thing that happens in the background mostly that's cool and um and it's also kind of neat because they they film you know like you go to like go to the moon or whatever right and uh at on the moon it just looks like a normal airport basically 
<laughs> it's got like a subway and DHL and all that kind of stuff, right? So I thought that was kind of cool too because, you know, it's just, you know, they, and they kind of comment on it a bit. It's kind of like we went to other places but just turned it into Earth again kind of thing. So sure. I thought that was kind of neat because, I don't know, I could see that being done very badly, very easily, and I thought it was sort of fun. And I don't know, it, it just has some, it, it, I kept thinking of it almost as like an, anti-Bergman film you know like uh, Ingmar Bergman whatever like uh oh right uh and um because uh you know there is a lot of it about like being alone in the universe and all that sort of thing is like part of it and it's part of it is that like humanity is very invested in this idea of oh now we'll be able to actually like find out if there's other aliens and stuff like that's I don't know so I, I thought that was kind of a nice night's theme and they have like in it like stuff like uh ever so often people in it pray or say something about God or something, which I thought was neat because again, most science fiction stuff doesn't really touch that at all. Right. Yeah. And uh, so like at every sort of stage of the movie, someone will say a prayer or say something related to religion. And um, that seemed very much like, again, one of those things where, yeah, I I feel like a lot of uh, sci-fi stuff doesn't include very basic things like that. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of sci-fi kind of has this premise of like atheism will finally, you know, r- rational thought and atheism will have been a- achieved and everyone will be free from all the old ways of thinking or whatever and that kind of thing. And instead of like a, I mean, I haven't seen this, but it sounds like the idea of space exploration and stuff will maybe make that even more relevant rather than less relevant. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it there's different ways to take the film because of the way it ends and stuff. But like, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a way I, like, I assume that the, I would have guessed that a big, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe I'm wrong, but I would assume that like a big Hollywood film has a sort of like a atheistic angle. Like it's not, you know, you're not going to have like, I don't know. Like I thought well, one thing I thought was interesting is that like, so a previous movie like this in some respects was like contact um mm-hmm. and uh it had the same sort of themes about like looking for extraterrestrial life and all that and in book contact uh i don't remember the movie as much but i know that the sort of angle on it was that uh the actual contact was with like god that's like the I don't know, I yeah i get, kind of remember that in the movie too yeah yeah and uh there's this uh you know that in written into the code of the universe basically is a religious thing now I so at Astra itself, like I feel like you can look at it in a way that like is religious, and I thought that would be you know I just I feel like if you can look at something the way that you want to look at it, then you just might as well do that. You don't have to like yeah you, know, sure. you don't have to you don't have to sort of uh, bend to you know just whatever they you know. But I I think it's more it's it's I think that the my guess is that the the director is more interested in saying that like atheism doesn't need to lead to nihilism mm. but i i feel like you don't even have to do that you can just say that religion uh survives science in some ways so yeah that's how i would put it but anyway so i don't know i would suggest yeah it, it, it was pretty good yeah I'd, um, I'd like to see that if uh where did you watch it so i rented it i rented it okay because, uh, all it's right not well, a, yeah, i'll keep an eye out for it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the old so, books yeah, and the other one that I watched was uh, that I liked more. I thought this was just like a, 
I can understand why someone wouldn't like it, but I really loved it. it was a portrait of a lady on fire. I haven't um, even heard of that. Yeah, so it's like a French movie that came out um, last year, I guess. Okay. And uh, it's about a woman who uh, is sent to basically a small French community in, I think it's set in the 17th century. Mm. Um, uh, she's supposed to paint a woman who is being sent off for marriage. And, um, you know, she has to kind of like, but she doesn't, the, the trick is that the woman doesn't like being painted so that, you know, she has to like basically do it in secret. Um, okay. you know, like she has to, she has to sort of like hang out with her and just kind of like stare at her. Right. Like, you know what okay. I mean? Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, um, and then paint later from memory kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, that's how it kind of starts off. And then, uh, um, they end up having like a relationship and, uh, it, anyways, it's, but it was, I, I just really liked it. I just thought it was well done how they did it and stuff. And it's, uh, it's, it's like the sort of. The basic angle on it is that um, the question is, you know, whether or not uh, love is something that is, you know, it's 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 whether you're actually aiming at the love or if you're aiming at the memory of love or something like that kind of thing. So, sure. I don't know. I really liked I really liked that sort of theme and stuff. I thought it was really interesting. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was well done. So it was fun. But yeah, it's a very gay movie, though. <laughs> but, like, that's, <laughs> but uh I don't know. So, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. So, and it, I, I like that sort of, I might want to watch, like, have you ever seen Babette's Feast or anything like that? Or Mm-mm. I'm not a big movie guy, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, um, anyway, so I, I don't know, I want to start watching some of this old, like old European stuff, like, uh, like, you know, like the old, uh, time, Europe, 17th century, 18th century sort of stuff. I don't know. I thought that'd be fun to watch more of that stuff. So, I don't know. Yeah, sure. I, I like uh, Andre Rublev. If you've seen that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've seen parts of that. I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but uh, um, I think that yeah, that sort of thing is the sort of thing I'd want to watch more of. But also just like daily life sort of thing, right? Just, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, anyways, that's what I've been up to lately. Is that kind of thing? So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I guess we could move into the questions at this point. Sure. So let's see. Is Mario a veteran? Um, I don't know. I don't really know my Mario lore. I thought he was a plumber and I didn't think it went much further than that. Yeah. Oh, I guess because they're saying he fought these uh koopas and all that kind of thing maybe yeah, is that maybe is it is like does that count as a veteran um i guess yeah i was gonna say he wasn't uniformed but he kind of was and then he's also like you know i'm sure that uh princess peach whatever maybe gave him some sort of commendation or something so i guess that he would count as that i don't know if they would like accept him at like a veterans hall as like a real veteran because well, they might not believe him to start with. They might be like, well, you probably didn't, like, kill uh, turtle-like creatures and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Have you ever uh, played, like, Nintendo games, like that kind of stuff? Like, have you ever gotten I mean, into that? Yeah, you know, a little bit like when, historically? I was, when I was younger. But I, yeah. I'm not, I, that's not my thing, the platformers sure. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what about uh, Switch? Have you ever thought about getting one of those? Or No. No, I don't so, even really know 
exactly what a switch is in terms of like what makes it special or whatever yeah it's uh it's funny because um a bunch of people that i know online well first off it's like for some reason it's like catnip for girls right now for some reason it's just like it, it, like they're in animal crossing it's just like it become a huge thing where they just play that all day now um and uh i was kind of like uh and it looks fun like it's not like you know i'm not like against or anything but uh, it, it, I'm just amazed at like Nintendo's marketing because, you know, I've seen like probably at least a dozen people that I know online have bought one in the last few months, whatever. Um, even though it's like three year old, three year old system or something. Right. So I used to really like Nintendo as a kid. I used to subscribe to Nintendo power. Oh yeah. <laughs> me too. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I thought that would be I don't know, but uh, I feel like that's one thing where if I got one, I would never play it at all. I don't know. I'd probably like play it for like a minute and then be like, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, I could see if they have like a good baseball game on there or something, but I don't, I don't <laughs> no. think they've really been making a lot of good baseball games for a, a long time. I don't know. Well, are you thinking about getting a PS5 when they came out or you think? Or you don't know? Uh, probably not. I don't know. Okay. We only really use it to watch stuff, you know, like Netflix oh, really? and YouTube yeah. and stuff. We don't really play games on there as much. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. I get, when Cyberpunk comes out, I'm maybe considering getting it on the console because, uh, like, Tabs likes to watch me play those kinds of games, and it's a lot easier to do that on the console that's out in the living room rather than on my computer sure. and stuff. Yeah. But my computer would probably run it a lot better. So I'm sort of like, and it's first person and I really hate playing first person stuff on console. So yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of like weighing my options there. Probably going to go with the computer though. I'm really surprised at like the prices of everything. I don't know. Still like on video games. I really like, I, you know, I, I've spent over the last, you know, year now a lot on things like I got the console for PS4 and all that kind of stuff. But even then, like I look at like the switch and I go like in Canadian prices, like a new switch, like the actual base unit, normal sort of console is like 400 bucks. And then, you know, the special pro controller is like 90 bucks or whatever. And then the, you know, animal crossing is like $80 or whatever. It's just, I don't know. So I feel like, I don't know. It seems like a big commitment or something. I don't know to me. It's like, you know, you really have to want to jump into that, whatever. So, you know. Yeah, that's that's a pretty big obstacle for me. I'm not going to take my chances on something that I may not even like. Sure. Um, all right. Next question here is for you, Don. Can you recommend a good book on Islam? Oh, so they want me to? Um, yeah. Uh, hmm. I'm trying to think. Um, I'm trying to think of like uh, I was trying to think of like a um, book about the Crusades as a joke, but <laughs> and, uh, I know a great book on the Crusades from the Arab perspective. It's called The Crusades Through Arab Eyes. It's uh, almost entirely first person accounts, like primary sources and stuff. Some very funny stuff. Some very interesting stuff, and. Uh, yeah, I would recommend that to anyone who's interested in something like that. Um, I did see a book that I haven't uh, bought yet, but um, it was looked kind of interesting. Which is a, it's like a catalog of apologetics and uh, sort of opinions and stuff about um, different world religions. It's basically like a textbook, I think, for priests or something. 
and uh, it's like it, it tries to be like charitable i think too it's not like just a you know because 99 percent of those books now are just probably terrible because they're just like you know um islam is like a terror religion or whatever kind of thing you know what i mean sure, like i think yeah. that a lot of that stuff is just like that but i saw one that looks interesting because it looks like it's more like you know, here are our points in common. Here are things that we agree on. Here's things that we disagree on and ways to resolve them in a polite way or whatever. You know, like it's like it seemed a lot more uh, charitable. And um, I don't know, that's the sort of thing that I would probably enjoy more because uh, um, I don't know, I think that's useful. Even for things that like I have, you know, just a historical sort of inherited i just don't you know prejudice kind of thing where like it's like hinduism or something i just i just can't relate to it you know just as a yeah religion, sure. i find it hard to i mean it's good to sort of read about stuff like that and kind of uh come away with uh more of appreciation and you know maybe make less flippant jokes about it like uh the crusades joke and stuff so yeah <laughs> i don't know so yeah i think i think you're fine i don't no, know no no but you know what i mean though that like it's like there's I don't know. I'm sure you you do encounter that a lot online, where people make like the instant sort of jokes and think that they're chumming around kind of thing, and then you're like, okay, come on, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I, I I'm pretty whatever about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. It doesn't bother me too much. Sure. I, I know what you mean about like um like just not being able to like click with the religion or whatever. Like it just something there. I've always felt that way about Christianity. Like I can really appreciate a lot of the, like the ethics and just like the way that it's manifested in, in the real world, like people, you know, how good Christians can be, you know what I mean? But when it comes down to like the actual theology and the way that the religion works as a religion, it just doesn't work for me for some reason. And sure. uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm probably a big part of that is just the fact that Islam is what really worked for me as in terms of like, it, it just made sense. And so anything that, that sort of differs, it's, it's going to be, it's not going to feel right, you know? So I think it's just one of those things. Sure. Um, okay. So here's another question for you. What is Don's take on Andropov? Uh, there was an article by a UVA professor circulating on Twitter suggesting if he hung on a little bit longer, the Soviet Union would have held together. He was purging old Stalinists and considering China-like economic reform. One of the more interesting tanky takes. Putin is a fan. Um, yeah, and drop off, I guess. Uh, it's a, um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about uh, Russian history in that sort of you know, mode to actually say much about it other than, uh, um, you know, I do think it's true that there's probably a lot of different options that would have been available to people at that time. I think it is, a lot of it did come down to Gorbachev's personality and stuff, but, um, it, part of it is that you can't really, like the Soviet system was almost like, uh, it was very, very intimately connected to other parts of the world and other problems kind of thing. Like it's a China's a bit different because it's like this giant thing that was completely closed almost for like a few years and stuff. And like, you know, so it had, it had so such control that it was easier for it to sort of, you know, uh, privatize sections of its economy and all that sort of thing. I think, uh, for, uh, um, for the Soviet Union, you got to think that like, uh, in the 80s 
a lot of countries across the Soviet, like across the Warsaw Pact, were already starting to um, liberalize their economies in like a lot of ways, like pretty extensively. That it would just would have continued on for a while, and that would have made it really easy, I think, eventually to like it's not. There's nothing necessary why, but I feel like uh, Soviet control of the Warsaw Pact would have collapsed anyways. You know, like eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, then it matters less what the actual Soviet Union was doing because Soviet was what was always just a, was perceived as a threat because of its extension in other countries, basically, right? Like the Soviet Union itself, uh, if it didn't have a sphere, it didn't really matter what it was happening to it itself, kind of thing. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mark Ames was saying the other day. I saw heard him talking about how, uh, you know. There was this sort of other path that people talk about sometimes about um, possibly them liberalizing their economy in certain sectors, but not just doing the fire sale, which might have worked in some ways kind of thing. And yeah, um, I, I feel like anything like that is just a, um, well, at some level, it's it's kind of futile to talk about because, you know, it's uh, it didn't happen. So it's like, you know, that's kind of that's part of it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I and uh I always I always kind of yeah, I, I so I find it hard to sort of go through these sort of things, but I do think that there's something to the idea that uh a slower sort of um reformist sort of process towards opening up or something might have been uh more effective if it could have happened, but you know, I don't know. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm also not a fan of like what if kinds of questions, but I thought that that one was a little bit more interesting because it's more like, do you think this approach w- would have been more effective or something, which is is a little bit different than just like, what if this happened, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, part of it, like to answer it in one way is that uh, George Soros, um, so a book that I would really recommend or two of them that I would really recommend is that there's sort of like, a, um, is, I think it's called something like The Destruction of the Soviet System. Um, I can put it in the notes and, uh, um, the, what it is, is that, uh, they went through, there's two of them. One of them was basically in 1991 or something. And, uh, one came out, uh, I think maybe five or 10 years later. Um, and what it does is it's different people that were involved in the sort of final years of the Soviet Union, um, going through all the different economic options that were at play. And, uh, it's like Western people or like people like George Soros himself kind of thing, like going talking about like his plans and stuff and, uh, or, or maybe not George Soros, but like one of his close people or something. I can't remember, but like, uh, um, what I thought was really interesting was that it, it, uh, it talks about how, so the Soros foundation or something was planning this idea that they would, they went in there and kind of pitched them. They were going to pitch them on the idea that, um, uh, cities would create like free trade zones maybe in like St. Petersburg or something and it would be sort of similar to what ended up happening um in China with like a sort of a market zone and then the idea was that that market zone would be so prosperous they thought naturally that uh that would force policymakers to sort of slowly reform the system in the 80s mm. Soviet Union kind of thing and he said that what astonished them was that uh, events outstripped them, basically. That, you know, by the time that they had actually put together all these ideas, the Soviet Union was sort of like uh, already 
in sort of full market reform collapse kind of thing, right? So it happens so quickly. So I think it's true that, you know, there's no necessary reason. It's the same thing with the um, the military side of it. That's probably the largest policy area where it would make sense to talk about that kind of thing, where it's like, you know, uh, if Andropov uh, had uh, not, um, you know, if he had de-escalated in Afghanistan quicker or something or something, you know, those kind of things. Um, or if he had, you know, reduced uh, military spending, they call it the conversion, I guess, uh, conversion, uh, you know, changing the economy from a more military-based one to a thing. But, you know, it's one of those things where that's not the way they were thinking. They were thinking that, you know, they don't want to be the leadership of a generation that loses another, like, not loses another war, like, but like World War II was not perceived as like a great victory amongst the elites of uh, the Soviet Union, like internal to itself, right? Like they thought of it as we almost got destroyed and we lost all this life and it was hugely embarrassing to the government that they were even allowed to, uh, you know, that they had almost gotten defeated basically. So that's one of the reasons why they overinvested in things like tanks and all this kind of stuff afterwards because they were like, we're never going to again get into a position where we could lose kind of thing. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they actually, I mean, they're, the number of tanks that they had compared to um, the sort of scale of the threat that they perceived was just like extreme. Like it was like a, it was like paranoid, almost like the, the level of uh, military spending and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that actually, uh, a lot of things there remind me of North Korea today. Like the free market zone is something that I think they have tried recently the uh you know obviously the the militarism and the paranoia and all that kind of stuff you have any thoughts on the uh potential of the kim jong un having died and the sister taking over and all that kind of stuff yeah it's very uh, strange because uh, every few years they do a full rollout in korea for since like kim jong il um was around and uh they uh would do like a full sort of rollout and invite factories in and stuff in china and, and South Korea, like South Korea, they had like a big like tourism sort of thing where South Koreans could come up to this sort of mountain village or something kind of thing, you know, and like, um, and, you know, they, so every few years they have that sort of thing. And then also internally they have like, um, markets start to sort of spring up just sort of, I wouldn't say naturally because you don't ever want to say like naturalize it in that sense, but like, you know, it does, it's sort of spontaneous that, if they let people sell sort of imported Chinese goods or something, then that will, you sure. know, they yeah. they start to they start to lay them out on the ground and people come by and buy them and stuff. And, right. Uh, um. Uh. So I think that exists uh, ever so often. And then what happens is, uh, um, it gets cracked down on pretty tightly for a few years, especially because someone. Sometimes what ends up happening is that will be associated with particular figures kind of thing, like because it might be a racket in some way kind of thing, right? And then that person gets arrested for corruption and then they shut that down. And there's a lot of problems with like their financial system related to that and that. So I think that's a, it's, it's hard to guess because every time that in the past where it looked like that kind of boom was happening, they then uh, cut back on it a lot uh, because of, you know, whatever reason. Um, but it is one of those things where, you know, uh, it's hard because China's economy is not doing well right now at all. Um, and really the, the benefit to the region of North Korea being open in is it's 
it's like a labor supply of like almost like a third rate Chinese uh, economy kind of thing, like a like a colony almost kind of thing, right? Like it's like yeah, it's like a way of uh, it's like you know places like the Northeast that are already a lot of the places in it are now poor um, compared to uh, coastal China. It's it's like a third tier that they can then use as like cheap labor for certain things, but there's also so much political risk that it doesn't make sense for people to do that um, unless there's like some sort of guarantee that, you know, things will work out. Um, so anyways, I think that's, but at the same time, you know, I do think there are a lot of potential there for, I wouldn't say for uh, actual prosperity, but more for like improvement, normalization at yeah. some level so that people can, you know, already they're, they're already probably watching, you know, like, like you know, Korean shows and all that kind of stuff on, uh, like the people that can afford it, like USB sticks or something like that, get imported and then they just watch on that. May probably you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but actual like, uh, um, I don't know. It's hard because you know you don't. It's not like their lives. I mean, a lot of people's lives are going to be good if they open up. Whatever. It's just that it just be more like it is other places or something. So yeah, which right. is maybe its own goal. But like, yeah. So, yeah, and I don't know. That might be better. Hard to say. (laughs) I mean, we just don't really know enough about what it's really like in there. Yeah, it's probably pretty bad, but you know, who's who's to really say? I do think that one gain that you know, I think both you and I, from the last ten years or so of our lives, is that we do have more of respect for, you know, we do have a bit of a respect for uh, different systems just kind of continuing on in their own ways if they want to kind of like that was one of the things that in east germany um there was like a sort of a subculture of some people you know just first like there was sort of a thing within the broader population but it was also you know elite thing that they said you know okay well let's have a democratic socialist germany um and not reunite with western germany um and uh, it doesn't have to be the communist system that we have. It can be something new and different and continue on in our own way instead of just getting completely absorbed into this model that we don't like or something like that. Yeah, maybe a national socialism. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I respect something like that sometimes. Like, I think that that's interesting to me that, like, the idea that, um, I don't know, I like the I like the idea of sort of pluralism between different countries that we don't all have to have the same kind of system and stuff and i think that's that's you know i think think you're right that is something that like you know doing our little like self-studies and stuff that that is definitely one thing that i appreciate that i've been able to gain from that is just not seeing things in terms of oh they're doing it wrong we're doing it right or or yeah. the, the reverse, you know, some people have the opposite where it's like everything we do is wrong and everything this other place far away is doing is correct. It's just like yeah. people are doing things differently for different reasons. And, it, you know, you just want to see the best for everybody, whatever that means. And it's going to be different. You know, it's never going to be the same for everybody. So you, you can't really apply like one one solution to everything. Sure. Uh, okay, next question here. Any Flannery O'Connor thoughts? Uh, I read Flannery O'Connor in high school, and I very much enjoyed it. I We had to read a few stories for class, and then I liked it so much that I went on and read the entire collection that the stories were um, assigned from. I don't have a lot 
to say beyond that, to be honest. Uh, I just really, I, I really like her writing. Yeah, it's funny. I, I haven't read anything by Flannery O'Connor. And uh, I don't know. I think that's funny because normally it would probably be the opposite that, you know, the Catholic person would <laughs> read through them. But uh, um, I've read uh, like sort of the, another one, you know, another author that people bring up in sort of the same time sometimes is a. Uh, Graham Greene, I really liked a lot of his novels a few years ago when I read them, like 10 years ago or something. I read a lot of them, like uh, The Power and the Glory and um, The Comedians and uh, um, uh, Our Man in Havana and all those ones. And I don't know, I I really like them. Uh, But at the same time, I haven't read a lot of fiction, so I don't know how much my opinion counts on that, but I really did like, uh, you know, Another one that people bring up is uh, um, uh, Evelyn Waugh, I guess, and like a um, uh, *Brideshead Revisited*. I guess is one of them. Is that, right? Is that yeah, I and haven't it, read. I haven't read it. And, but yeah. Uh, so I, I started reading that, and it's good so far. So yeah, cool. Yeah, if you if you want to, I, um, the the stories that come to mind for Flannery or O'Connor that I remember really liking are *The River* and a good man is hard to find i think that's the name of it so yeah just suggestions there um Mm -hmm. what's your favorite movie of 2019 uh i i don't remember seeing a lot of movies in 2019 i think did um uh what, what was it called the pizzagate movie you were never really there or whatever was that 2019 i'll say that one um I'm trying to, I'm looking at, I'm looking at my, uh, um, I think that was a year earlier or something, but I'm looking at my, uh, uh, letterbox for the 2019 movies. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really liked, uh, that portrait of a lady on fire, as I said, um, that I just watched and, uh, uncut gems was pretty good. Oh, um, I haven't seen Astra at Astra was pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really like Joker. Um, I thought that was pretty fun. I don't know. The thing that I liked about Joker was that I didn't have, I didn't really understand. I mean, I didn't guess what was coming next the whole time, kind of thing. Hmm. Like I was, I was actually like enthralled in it. Um, That's always good. Yeah, I felt like uh, a lot of those kind of things. Like you kind of have to. Um, I don't know. Like you gotta, I have to give them some credit for that because I thought it was not going to be good, um, and uh, you know it was okay. Uh, the movie Us, um, Jordan Peele, I guess. Um, I thought that was good too. I don't know. I heard that was really bad. Oh yeah, I I enjoyed it because I was actually like, uh, again, it was one of those things where I, I was, uh, I don't know. I thought I thought it was really cheesy, and but I still really enjoyed it. I haven't seen a lot of horror movies in general. Um, but I really enjoyed that. I don't know. I like the Irishman as well, I guess. Oh yeah. The Irishman. Okay. I I think I, yeah, I'll, I'll say that was my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of other ones. I mean, I really, I've been kind of lucky in the last year that a lot of the ones that I've seen, I really liked, um, uh, you know, like just, uh, um, some of the ones I didn't like, I noticed was, uh, um, long shot came out then, which was, uh, Seth Rogen. And uh, Charlie Theron, and um, it was not good, but it was kind of funny because he's like a vice or Jacobin kind of reporter guy, and um, you know that's like uh, 
you know, it's 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 funny. It was funny seeing someone that I could follow online in a movie. I don't know. Like I was like, oh yeah, that's someone that I uh, would know. Although I don't feel like uh, he would, uh, you know. I guess that's the movie that uh, he would uh, achieve at that level. Um, uh, yeah, and the other one that I I sort of uh, did not like was uh, Men in Black International. Although I signed up for that, so I guess that's my fault. All right. Uh, next question. Um, okay. So next question here is: We have a lot of great problematic racist and no growth candidates in this year's contest, but in the end, there can only be one. Who are you guys voting for DSA president? So I think I'm going to cast my vote for the incumbent Nick Mullen. He's uh he's been doing a great job over there, and I think uh, we can only see more great work from him in the future. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Nick Mullen's done a good job. Um, I, uh, you know, I think that he's backing Trump, twenty uh, twenty. So, I think that's interesting. I don't know. I, you know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez was part of this uh, coalition called Brand New Congress, um, and in that coalition, they said that they were going to like support candidates that for primaries for uh, things like that supported Medicare for all. And uh, one of the things that they were doing was endorsing Republicans in primaries where the Republicans committed to Medicare for all. This is true. Um, And uh, I thought that was a very strange use of their uh, resources and uh, sort of, you know, whatever. So uh, there's tweets by uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez you can find where she's encouraging people to vote in Republican primaries for uh, Medicare for all candidates. Um, and, uh, I feel like, uh, Nick Mullen can sort of bring that to the next level and, uh, get, you know, DSA behind Trump 2020 and, um, Hell yeah. yeah. And, and then, uh, I think that will work out for everyone's favorite in the end. Yeah, for sure. Okay. This one is for me. What are good videos or podcasts about the Quran or other Islamic teachings to introduce it to an English speaker, videos of preachers or whatever. Also, maybe ask Tom, please. Thanks. Um, so I think there's a few good people who just are gen- like any of their content is pretty good. Uh, Hamza Yusuf is definitely like the standard go to guy, I would say. He has been producing stuff for decades that's really great. Um, lately, he is much more of like a subdued and kind of like calm sort of a guy and very much in touch with like an inner faith sort of a thing. Uh, in the 90s, he was much more of like a firebrand and stuff. You can find some really funny lectures he was given about like the New World Order and all this kind of stuff. Um but I think the best one of his as an introduction would be a, a lecture course that he did for, I think it was Islam on Demand or something like that. Uh, and you can find it on YouTube if you look this up. I think it's called, uh, I think it's based on the book Vision of Islam. Um, that's yeah. that's good. And uh, he did one that was just based on the uh, biography of the prophet by Martin Lings. So he he does like a run through of that. I think it's important to get a uh, some sort of source for a, a biography on the prophet, in addition to just like basic theological stuff and things like that. It really uh, puts a lot of things in in place because so much of Islam is about the Sunnah, and the Sunnah is based on the prophet's life, 
and the way that it's derived is based on like specific moments and, and things like that. So it's just important to understand like where that all comes from. So I definitely recommend that. Um, I also really like uh, Abdul Hakim Murad, who is also known as Tim Winter. He's a British guy. He runs the Cambridge Muslim College. He's very, very good. Uh, I would recommend pretty much anything that he's done. He has written things. He has stuff on YouTube you can look up, lots of lectures and stuff like that he's given. He has also put out a reading list, which is uh, it's excellent. It's organized into tiers of like beginner, uh, intermediate, and advanced. And it's just recommendations of books to read and stuff like that. So you can search that out. That's also good. Um, I like Yasser Qadi. He's good on sort of like if you want some sense of like what a kind of like standard mainstream somewhat conservative kind of thing is that's fairly reasonable at the same time it's not just like repeating dogma and stuff like that but it's it's like a thought out sort of approach to that he's very good also lots of things on youtube you can find from him and um i would also say if you're interested in the quran itself and specifically kind of like breaking down the arabic meanings and all that kind of thing i think that's useful uh, if, especially if you're trying to read the Quran or something, uh, you can find Numan Ali Khan, who uh, runs the Bayana Institute. He does excellent stuff. A lot of his things can tend to be uh, more focused on like younger people, like teens and stuff like that. So you just have to keep that in mind that, you know, it might feel a little hokey sometimes, some of the like the lessons that he's trying to derive from certain things. But then if you understand that, well, his audience is like a bunch of 16 year olds, it, it makes a lot more sense. But the way he breaks down the the Arabic and explains it is I, I haven't found anything better than that. So yeah, I would recommend those things. And I'll put all that in the show notes for you so you can refer to that. I have listened to the um, Hamza Yusuf ones, the, the two ones that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and uh, many years ago, and uh, I found them really helpful. So, yeah. All right. And so the last question here, uh, is the reason Warren lost so bad because voters reject the idol worship of big structural Bailey? Uh, I would hope so. I think that that's sort of like a basic instinct that all human beings have to reject idols and to direct their worship to the one true God. So I think there's, yeah, there's something to be said about that. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think that, uh, um, I think it's also, you know, just a good sign in general. Yeah. That, uh, um, her sort of witchcraft sort of stuff has been rejected and, um, you know, her sort of astrology driven campaign, um, (laughs) maybe, uh, you know, uh, using mystic symbols like the two coins and stuff. And, um, you know, the giant, uh, dog and stuff. I think that, you know, it's showing that there's like a, a corner being turned where people will start, you know, deleting those astrology apps off their phone and stop talking about how they're witches and stuff. And, uh, um, you know, we'll accept that, uh, you know, someone like uh, a Catholic, like, like Biden can become president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Islamo-Catholic emirate is slowly but surely creeping towards reality. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to hear a second episode of You Can't Win, you can subscribe to our Patreon, and you will also get access to our Discord, where you can 
chat with our community about fun things like the idea about creating a QAnon-style cult around George Soros and the idea that he is fighting the pedophile elites rather than Trump. That's been something we've been batting around lately. It's so, a great idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think it, I think it has some legs there. So, yeah, I uh, hope to see you there, and we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Siihen vanhaan majan taloon.